0: I'm Jenny Jones and this is Jen's Green Jam. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm the one and only Green Party peer in the House of Lords where I do my absolute best to hold the government to account on a whole range of issues. Now, in my podcast, I aim to encourage a debate around the Green perspective on various topics in British politics. And each month I bring on a guest to talk about an issue which is important to me or the Green Party. And at the end of this podcast, we'll do some myth busting by discussing how to counter some of the arguments you may hear in the media or in the street. And so, with that in mind, I'd like to welcome the Deputy Leader of the Green Party, Amelia Womack. Thank you. It's very good to have you here. Thank you for
1: coming along. Was it a real
0: chore to get here?
1: Not at all, but uh, always it's good to be doing this with you. And uh, as I said before, having been someone who's seen your amazing jam um, in real life, it's uh, great to be part of the the podcast
0: as well. What Amelia means is that I sometimes auction or raffle jam that I've made myself from fruit from my allotment. And uh, it usually goes for quite a lot of money. Um, And, you know, I should do that with more people so that I get money from outside the party as well as inside. (laughs) Um, Now, Amelia was elected deputy leader of the Green Party in 2014, September, making her the youngest deputy leader of any political party in the UK at the time. And today we're going to discuss the environmental and social harms of fast fashion. And she's actually done the most incredible campaign already on this. So Amelia, welcome. And uh, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't know you or can we assume everybody knows you?
1: Well, I mean, just a bit about myself having done this, having worked as deputy leader for over four years so during some of the most turbulent times in politics Indeed. with the general unexpected general elections and EU referendums. It's just been really important to be there having the green message being heard so clearly because my background in the environment and sustainability and when we've got this window of opportunity To create positive uh, action against climate change, as well as challenging issues around social justice and economic justice, it feels that we've got such a a lot of work to do as Greens, whether that's in our local parties or at a national level. So um, that's where I've been, what I've been doing for the last uh, four and a half years, and it feels like it's been a vital time to be doing it. And of course, there's
0: actually there's quite. A low number of Greens who have a national profile, so it's incredibly important that those who do have a national profile are actually active and you travel around a lot to make sure that um, lots of groups are supported by you
1: and, and and the issues are heard. Absolutely. I don't know how many train miles I've clocked up, but if they had a, did a train miles like they did air miles, then I'd probably have a lifetime worth of free train tickets in a, stored up and ready to go. <laughs> So uh, this
0: issue of fast fashion, which you've been doing a really good campaign on, um, I hadn't heard the
1: term before, I think probably this year. So could you just describe exactly what it is? So fast fashion is the idea that we need the latest trends and the latest styles that's pushed by by bloggers, by celebrities and by the fashion industry. Um, So this last season, the colour was that yellow that you would have seen um, around the place. And now for the new season, those styles have changed. It means that uh, the fashion industry wants you to constantly be spending money to keep on trend but then what, um, what's lost is that longevity of our clothes that actually fashion should be timeless and that we are creating consumption as a result which is damaging our planet. Does it make a difference whether the clothes are cheap or expensive? Well, the supply chain of those clothes can be incredibly different um, depending where they've come from. Um, I think that uh, it's not necessarily saying that cheap fashion is uh, is uh, the, the worst part of the industry. It's the whole industry that ties into so many issues, whether that's um, around waste, whether that's around... Um, pollutants, whether that's around uh, labour issues. And so the, the cheaper the fashion, though, the more likely you are to have those costs elsewhere. And I think one of the key things about this is there's no such thing as cheap fashion, really. Someone, somewhere or something is paying for it. So can you describe some of the environmental impacts of fast fashion? So, and to begin with, the waste aspect is incredible. Uh, the Ellen McCarthy Foundation said that we, d- uh, we get rid of a, a garbage truck. What would you say? that? Would you say garbage truck in English? It's yeah, very um, American. A, a, rubbish, a, rubbish a rubbish truck lorry or something. Um, every second. Um, it's about 235 million tonnes in the UK of clothes go to landfill. Could you repeat um, that figure again? So 235 million tonnes of clothes go to landfill in the UK alone. And we're the fourth biggest consumer of clothes in the world and the, the biggest in Europe. And that's a figure that's gone up by 400% since 1998. So that's that's uh, per person that we are all, considering we're quite a small nation relative to a lot. Absolutely, um, it's, it's yeah per, per person. person. And um, everything from the fabric, if you look at cotton, even um, the cotton ind- cotton is an incredibly thirsty plant. And um, in places like uh, where we have the Aral Sea, the entire sea has almost depleted as a result of water being removed for it for the cotton industry. Um, pollutants that are used on the... Um, sorry... Um, Pesticides that are used um, on the plants that will create that cotton then obviously create uh, issues in our water supply. Even things like denim, each pair of jeans, it takes litres upon litres of water to even create those jeans um, in their production, let alone when you get to the point of, of washing your clothes. And if you have polyester, microfibers are released from that polyester into our environment. We've had successful campaigns in the last few years that have challenged microplastics, in um, cosmetics but then we're still releasing every time we wash it something like 7,000 we we release all of these microplastics into our washing machines and then which end up in our in our oceans and seas. So there's two things here first
0: of all we are creating plastic waste by Um, having these particular um, styles of clothes or or fabrics. But also, of course, we're importing lots of water from places who can't afford to export it because of the way that it's produced. So actually, the environmental damage is on the country
1: that is producing the clothes, but also on us, where we're wearing them. Absolutely, and I think that but those countries that the clothes are produced is so interesting because often we're producing things like denim in, in, in areas where there's not enough water per person. Or the fact that uh, a lot of our clothes are produced in China and India, where energy is typically coal-fired, means that we're increasing the number of tonnes of carbon that we're creating for each um, item of clothing we have. At the moment, um, the fashion industry emits more tonnes of carbon than shipping and... Um, the and and flights and is creates five percent of our carbon emissions each year now there's
0: also social impacts which you've you've um talked about in the past could you describe some of those as well
1: it's just incredible the cost the social impacts of our clothes we have people who are working on less than a living wage so a living wage is basically the wage that you have so you can keep a roof over your head and food on your table and those people are forced to work um obscene hours often being forced to work till two three in the morning um with incredibly long shifts uh, facing abuse but also facing um working in conditions that aren't good for your health with things like um sandblasting in denim that creates that aged look that um, creates health issues um, in people's lungs and ca- different types of cancers. I mean we know that the, those, those um, working conditions were highlighted when the Ranza Plaza collapsed, killing uh, 1,134 workers, which but when that was exposed, the actual conditions that people have been were working in um, were highlighted from that what effectively were um, unsafe working conditions. Not just as a result of the collapse of the building, but for the the chemicals and the toxic um, the, the toxic substances that they were breathing in. And sometimes the people working in these incredibly awful places Our children as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, Um. So 168 million children work in the fashion industry. 168 million? Yeah. And so I always keep challenging these figures, but they seem so extraordinary. And I think it's such a hidden cost. And we don't know, every time we put a dress on, every time we put a pair of jeans on, we've got this hidden cost of our clothes. But I mean, it's linked to things like, I mean, when you look at uh, the children involved in the fashion industry, it's normally young girls who are then brought in instead of given an education. And then they're trapped in that industry for the rest of their lives because their skills are basically in fashion um, and they're not able to escape those in, uh, those horrific working conditions. They're not able to, able to escape that low pay because they were never given the education um, that they deserve. And there's even links to, to slave labour in um, the fashion industry as well. Uh, places that pick cotton. Sometimes governments will bring out people to, to pick cotton to re- reach the demands without paying a wage. So this... Uh, terrible process. Actually, it goes right
0: from the growing of the um, substance that's going to be used for material, yeah. all the way through uh, the production, through the labour, and and then of course, um, do
1: they get flown in or do they get? Are they on ships? Is is there any aspect, environmental aspect, in that way? So, I mean, all of these aspects need to be taken into account, and it's uh, these carbon footprints, and whether that is, I mean, shipping still has a, a massive impact on our environment as well as flights. And I think there are lots of companies that look at uh, carbon footprinting of clothes and water footprinting, but if you've just got a few companies that are actually analysing their environmental impacts, you don't get the full picture. Um, there's even when you are looking at those kind of footprints as well. There's a difference, uh, and I hadn't realised actually in the UK we wash our clothes on however many degrees, let's say 30, in um, Australia and China they just do it at zero. And so there's even an environmental impact of which, where in the country or wa- sorry, where in the world you're washing your clothes um, that is affecting that uh, life cycle, the environmental impact of the life cycle of something as simple as a t-shirt.
0: Is there less um, pollution um, or, or on the fibre aspect if you wash at zero, or is only the energy cost? Just the energy cost. Right. So it's the same amount of microfibres washed out, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've done the most incredible campaign, which I've been following. Uh, Can you you tell us a bit about um, how you decided to do it and what you've been
1: doing? Well, I've been shopping in charity shops for years, and the majority of my Most greens do, of course. Most (laughs) greens do. But, I mean, there's an incredible collection of um, of clothes that mean that you're using secondhand, so they're pre-loved, and it's um, uh, an opportunity to not be using virgin resources to be to be uh, pushing this fast fashion aspect. Um, as a result, on Instagram and on social media, I'd been talking about this, and it really seemed to resonate with people about challenging the status quo and actually challenging that there's something wrong in our fashion industry. And obviously, I was talking about shopping in charity shops, but it's beyond that. It's really about challenging how we um, we create redesign and reuse and upcycling and circular economies. And I think that these tie into real green ideas, but it's not just about... Green ideas—it's about the future of this this planet. We've got um, the UN have told us that we've got 12 years to deal with the worst aspects of climate change, and I just feel that. And um, we're sat here on a glorious February day after we've broken uh, record after record for the hottest February that we've ever seen, and we need to be really questioning um, all all of our industries. There shouldn't be an industry that isn't under the microscope right now. And um, as I said, fast fashion Im- is embeds a lot of this environmental destruction as well as um, impacts, if, it, if it, we continue to increase our consumption of clothes, as we do, have done at the moment, it's possible that uh, the fashion industry could take up 25% of, um, make up 25% of our carbon emissions by 2050. Again, that's an absolutely
0: staggering figure. Um, how has your campaign been um Uh, Have people welcomed it or or has there been any opposition to the ideas that you've put forward?
1: People have really welcomed it. And I think that people have really welcomed that questioning of an industry that has been so far so long has been in the shadows and people haven't been putting it out into the the light to question it. Um, I mean, there are many books and actually we've had the uh, government report um, on um, environmental impacts of fashion, which obviously Caroline Lucas sits on. Um, and I think that 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 also has been tying into the the appreciation of it is just that really how we're how we're tying into the fact that every single industry has all of these different um, aspects, but you've got to uh, kind of once you start pulling the thread, yes, as it were, yeah. and you start to really all under, the repercussions yes, uh, from, yeah. from every
0: aspect, yeah. And uh, you've done a lot of uh, photographs on social media
1: wearing clothes that you found in charity shops. I think people have been really shocked at the quality and um, the fact that it doesn't... uh, When people think about charity shop clothes, they think of something that has been worn through and they think of something that's been incredibly aged. But actually what I'm wearing today is uh, from a charity shop, which is uh, kind of a a blue floral dress um, my coats from a charity shop and people are always commenting on on how good my clothes look and are always so shocked that they're actually secondhand and um, have come through that route. But I think it's also, I mean we, we don't promote a repairing economy. One of the things that I put up was a coat um, that I got for, it was quite um, expensive to begin with, uh, well it was £60 for the coat originally but it cost £80 to get it repaired. Um, And it was just that typical thing. The lining had gone. That's not a job I can do myself. And so I took it in to be repaired, and it cost more than the coat. And there's something quite broken with a system that means it's actually cheaper to buy a new coat, or or even at the moment, what I think is quite interesting, the people I talk to who buy new pairs of shoes instead of getting them rehealed, because it's actually cheaper to do that. And um, there's something quite broken if we're not taking into account the, the life cycle cost of an item of clothing or a pair of shoes than actually we're causing we're still costing the environment it's that age-old issue of private profit versus public risk that we've got corporations pushing to make more and more money and, and, and what the public get left with the uh, depleting water sources um, environment uh, issues around climate change pollutants in our water and uh, microfibers in our seas and it's not those private companies that are going to clean that up Indeed. Well, I must say, you look great.
0: Uh, it's a really nice dress and uh, and a nice jacket. Um, Thank you. Very summery. For say. February. <laughs> for, for February, yes. Um, so uh, why did you start with this focus on fast fashion? Was it just something that
1: exasperated you and you felt you had to do something I think it was just because I do shop at charity shops and then I realized that people thought that was really interesting and um, so I guess the world of Instagram enjoys that kind of thing as well but actually beyond that it it meant that I was able to use all kinds of different uh, platforms to actually challenge not to not just talk about the kind of the, the images themselves but actually what was reflected behind them
0: and you you've run some um, as I say great campaigns. You've had a plastic free month. Um, that was nothing to do with fast fashion, was it? That was just trying to limit your yeah um, your
1: um, single use plastic. Uh, how did that go? I think it it was really interesting because when we challenge ourselves to do something differently, then we really have to change everything we do. And to be honest, this is what I want to see business and government doing as well. When I challenged myself to go plastic free, it meant that I had to think about you know changing my toothbrush. Um, uh, that every single, I realise that by my accent I say the word tooth funny, so if uh, you do need to... Yeah, she means toothbrush, <laughs> yes. Um, that, uh, that every single toothbrush we've ever had, if, uh, if it's plastic, still exists in the environment somewhere. And even things like thinking about how you get toilet roll, that doesn't have that isn't wrapped in It fa- isn't wrapped in plastic. How did you um, do that? There's a company that's called Who Gives a Crap, and uh, <laughs> they do paper covered toilet roll. But I'm I feel like I remember when toilet roll came covered in paper. Yeah. And that's changed in my lifetime. And I think we've seen plastic is just so insidious, and it's really snuck into our daily lives when it wasn't there before. And um, as soon, lots of those habits that I was able to change in that time, I've now stuck with, uh, just because it's it's sometimes cheaper it's once you've realized the impact of it, it is easier but um, and I think that it begins to it was it was good timing as well because the day that I finished my plastic free um, period was uh, the day that David Attenborough's Blue Planet finished and uh, it was complete coincidence but it was then something that was a hot topic and people felt they did want to be questioning about why we've got so much plastic in our environment and uh, I mean even things like changing to a solid soap rather than having uh, soap from the bottle again something that has changed in my lifetime and has become such a norm, but all of those things. What's our legacy? What is going to be our legacy to the planet? We've. I, go, I enjoy going and looking at the castles from the kind of from hundreds of years ago and thinking of a time uh, that somebody has left these incredible buildings um, that is part of our cultural heritage. And what are we leaving behind? It feels like what we're leaving behind is a mountain of plastic that's going to take hundreds of years to de-
0: decompose. It is extremely difficult to go plastic-free. I mean, I do. I do what I can. But, for example, even the biscuits I bought today, they've got a nice uh, paper, cardboard outside. But when you get inside... Uh, they've it, it's single-use plastic, and that is very disturbing. And and it's very hard to make all these changes at once. But presumably you've done um, a list of how to avoid some of these plastics. Is is that available?
1: Yes, that's available. There are a few articles on it. So if you do Amelia Womack plastic-free, those will come up with uh, kind of just lists upon lists of different items. But I'll tell you the biggest shock I have. So I love tea. I survive on tea. Oh yes. Um, tea if bags. you are what you eat, then I am definitely a tea bag. Um, but uh, not only do you get plastic on the covering but I discovered that you've actually had plastic in tea bags um, part of how they hold the tea bag together yes and as a result of that campaign people became incredibly aware and started to um, I, it wasn't just me but then people started to really lobby the tea companies and now a lot of those I keep getting messages from different companies now saying we've now taken plastic out of our tea bags That's I mean they're brilliant. still on the boxes but yes <laughs> uh, yes I just I was so I was so shocked just to think that all those people that are putting tea in there the, assuming that tea, tea bags are biodegradable and actually they're not.
0: I'm going to have to look up your list actually to see (laughs) how I can do better. Now you've also campaigned against misogyny which is a pet hate of mine, Uh, not the campaign but the misogyny and how did that go and how did you plan what to do?
1: So I mean there were so many different aspects because I'm always really inspired about what we can achieve at the at grassroots and that politics isn't about a centralised uh, government telling us top down what to do but how we feed bottom up in terms of ideas and changes that need to happen in our society and this ca- camp campaign came from a women's centre in Nottingham who had just said that we are not going to tolerate misogyny in our community anymore and wanted to take steps to make sure that they eliminated it. They came up with the idea as misogyny as a hate crime because obviously there are a, a, a range of different types of hate crime, whether that's on race, um, LGBT, um, disability, and but women are left out, which also frustratingly means it's not measured how many um, misogynistic um, experiences that women have in our communities. And it was actually the police um, force there that adopted this and started a a communication campaign. I mean, fundamentally, when it just means the police record when there's an incident that's recorded, they just have a drop-down box that says that it was uh, misogyny. But it means that um, it not only is it recorded, but people in Nottingham say that they can women in Nottingham say that they feel they can walk down the street with their heads held higher, that they feel valued in the community in a very different way, and um, it's. the, some of the experiences of the women that I've spoken to actually knowing having that strong communication strategy where they know that actually they can challenge it and know that something's um, wrong has happened because I think for too long we've let these instances um, kind of run under the bridge really of, of this is just what we should expect in culture and actually now women have been given the power to say that this shouldn't happen anymore and um, so we've but this this shouldn't be a lottery of where you live if you've got the right to stand up against misogyny we need to have national policy to make sure that every woman has a chance to record um uh, instances that happen to them
0: and when of course you understand that misogyny is at the root of domestic violence and mm-hmm. a lot of not just abuse of women but also um deaths assaults and and killings of women it's it's
1: absolutely fundamental i think absolutely i think because there are two strands on that as well i think um, when I announced that I was uh, the campaign, I talked about my own experiences of domestic violence at Green Party conference, because fundamentally I feel that that, would, that provides evidence. If there's somebody who has a, a long-standing history of, um, of perpetrating misogyny um, in their lives, then it builds up to these points of, of, of further abuse. But also it's that point that gives the power w- uh, to women to be like, actually, this is unacceptable, and it's just not unacceptable to me. It's unacceptable in the eyes of the law as well. But I also think it's interesting, and you'll probably feel this as well, Jenny, but the um, impacts of abuse on Twitter. And when you try and report it, it's like, is this a hate crime? And it gives you the list of, of all the other different types. But there's nothing you can say that is like, I'm being abused on social media simply because I'm a woman. And there are so many different groups who are trying to challenge um, what the experiences of, that women have on social media. But we're not actually being given the, the same tools to deal with it if we had um, other protective characteristics. I don't- Don't, in fact, report anything
0: these days on Twitter unless it's really, really uh, serious abuse. I just block the people or mute them, I'm afraid, because it's so hard to get anything done. We've gone off um, fast fashion a bit, but I'd like to get back onto it. Could you give me or could you give anyone listening some advice on how to make more environmentally
1: friendly fashion choices? So the first point is to consume less and um, it's That's not a That's rule isn't it, yes. about anything, <laughs> anything, yeah. I think it was uh, Coco Chanel who said that elegance isn't throwing on a new dress and um, I think that we can consume less, we can buy better and we can make sure that lasts um, to support people who repair in your community and uh, making sure that we are getting our clothes repaired and looking at that longevity of our clothes. In my family it's me that does that, <laughs> I do the darning and the the, the sewing so. Well, I mean, before this podcast, we were talking about the lack of skills, really, in this, and if we're being taught in schools, actually, how to um, make sure that we are that. We've lost the make-do-and-mend make culture, really, for this fast fashion culture of, of really wanting the latest styles and, and latest um, colours and um, uh, looks. As a, re- as a result, and it's, um, it means that we haven't got the, that fundamental skill base at the bottom, but it's about repairing, um, reusing, I mean, even things, but I think it's not just about the individuals, it's about how we challenge business and governments as well. Um, When you talk to business quite often um, in many different aspects that businesses just want a level playing field of how they operate and by challenging how we actually consume products from a, a government creating a level playing field enables business to take those positive steps that we so vitally need. I'd really like to see business taking ownership, really, of the full life cycle of their clothes, of being, of, of recycling themselves, as well as not trying to force. Um, there are some companies that have t- uh, signs in their tags that say, do you really need this? And it's like how you actually challenge, how how can businesses even challenge consumerism?
0: Thank you for that. Uh, You've uh, you started me thinking about how I can, uh, uh, well, be greener on this. Uh, I'd like to ask you now to give some rebuttals, some Mm -hmm. brief rebuttals to uh, common arguments that people make or or that people suggest. Um, For example, uh, donating fast fashion clothing to charity shops
1: makes it all sustainable. It makes it all okay. Um, I mean that's again it's first of all challenging consumption at the first point and um, there's there are other aspects of once we're uh, once we're just putting things in, first of all when you've got polyester and stuff like that it's um if, if your clothes are made from polyester actually it takes between 20 and 200 years for that to decompose so even the purchasing of those things it means it now exists in the environment because we've created that market and then it decomposes um, to plastics and yeah. and yeah and it's still washing out those microplastics and it's still um but there's also impacts of um a lot of the clothes that are deemed not good enough in the UK are then um Taken to other countries, into developing countries, and it actually means that there's a a second-hand clothes market. Uh, If you go to Africa, for example, there are just these kind of great big stores just selling out second-hand clothes, which means that sometimes that undermines the local production and skills and um, textiles uh, because it's being because I mean the the volume of clothes we're getting rid of it just swamps um, their markets. So I think first and foremost we need to be challenging consumption of fashion itself. then looking at how we repair, reuse, upcycle, recycle. And I think that the, um, the final st- step is that, um, how we reuse as themselves through charity shops. To charity shops. Um,
0: another myth, sustainable fashion is just a middle-class fad. Normal people
1: can't afford it anyway. I think all of these things that are called middle class fads are so fascinating because, I mean, first of all, the role of charity shops in ensuring that that um, people on lower incomes are able to access um, high-end, uh, long-lasting clothes as well is, quite, is very important. But also, if this was just the norm, it would be accessible to everybody. And when we are looking at people who are looking at sustainable fashion in um, different industries around wool or cotton and textiles, uh, they often are coming from kind of quite grassroots um, models that are that little bit more expensive but if it was the norm and if we were making sure that we were um, I mean we talk about externalities and economics of all those additional costs that we just don't account for if we're actually kind of making sure that we were, were costing those effectively we wouldn't have that cost on the planet as well. Now here's a myth that I subscribe to, in
0: fact, um, because I throw stuff in the compost sometimes, m- my own clothes, and you're going to tell me it is a myth. Fashion made of natural fibres can be composted. Well, I feel
1: like you might have the answer to this if you've uh, got clothes in your compost, because I, uh, I'd, I, I think that the majority can be but it's well, if like it's those green it can yeah. rot
0: and and be composted that's been my philosophy but presumably stuff has microfibers in even if it's a natural fiber
1: well that's the i guess with with wool um i it's like those tea bags You'd assume that tea bags can be, uh, will uh, decompose in your compost heap, but there are different things that are added to to keep it together, to make it last longer, to create, uh, maybe within clothing to create um, different colours as well. I don't know, but it's just, uh, I think that we um there are probably lots of other aspects that are involved in that as well. But um, I'd I'd subscribe to that. So I think you, I feel that... All right, uh, I'm not, it's not so bad then. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I can, I'll Google it afterwards. Yes, <laughs> well, thank you. Let me know.
0: Um, and then uh, repairing and mending is too much work
1: and too expensive. I think that we don't have it as part of our culture. And that's part of the... We we are all incredibly time poor and we are, um, there are so many people on on lower incomes that can't afford to you to do things like mend that coat that I was telling you about. I couldn't really afford to do that Uh, in reality. um, And I think we need to be making sure that we think about how we subsidise the repairing economy and also support skills in terms of enabling people to, to actually go out and repair clothes themselves as well. Another myth, sustainable fashion is hard to find. I don't think that's true. And I think um, everything, I mean, everything from charity shops um, to even, um, even in um, places like H&M and Marks and Spencers, they will often have a small range that's about sustainability. I often question, I'm um, very cynical about sustainable ranges in these kind of big companies, but it, it are, they are steps in the right direction. And it means that they, these uh, businesses are trying to link sustainability direct to the consumer. You do see organic cotton and so on, mm. much more, much more even, these days. So there was um, a, a t-shirt, I believe it was in Marks and Spencers, that was made um, out of plastic, ocean plastic that they found. And um, it didn't sound very nice to wear. It Doesn't sound very nice to wear, but also I did wonder about the uh, the process in turning plastic into materials. I mean, there's lots of stuff. Even about people talk about bamboo being such a good. Um, sustainable fashion um, material but actually because the way that you create it so it can make the kind of the fibers that you can wear then actually there's an intense chemical process linked to it which is therefore damaging to the environment I'm wearing bamboo (laughs) socks at this very moment Um, now
0: polyester is a big thing isn't it because Mm -hmm. it's a synthetic product that's made from petroleum is it
1: possible or rather the myth is that it's not possible to eliminate it from your wardrobe I don't think we've... I mean, I think it's it's a tough one to actually tackle because, as I said about plastics in, genu- in general, it's become so insidious in our society. And, um, I mean, I'm wearing nylon tights at the moment which I'll have plastic in. I, and it, there are so many different points. But I think that what we need to do is start challenging it and moving ourselves on that journey to actually eliminate those kind of materials because, I mean, the microplastics alone have an incredible impact on our oceans. Um, but it's only by challenging ourselves to eliminate it that we're going to be able to take those steps. Um, and I don't think we, need to, we should just hang on to the fact that it's, it's going to be a tough thing to do I, I feel like uh, I always mention your work in the London Assembly of, of issues around air pollution and if when you were first elected to the London Assembly would actually taken those positive steps to eliminate air pollution from London maybe we wouldn't have done that today but we'd be a damn sight closer than we are right now. Absolutely well Greens are always 10 to 20 years ahead of
0: mainstream politics but finally people people do come around um now uh there's something that here that you um you did think about or you did mention which is about donating and buying second-hand clothing will harm the manufacturing industry in developing countries you mentioned it from the other side actually but Mm. um clearly that
1: is that is um that's a possibility isn't it i think that's i think As I've said before, how we actually nurture what happens in grassroots and communities is so important. And if we weren't just focused on the fashion of the big multinational retailers and we were actually supporting local fashion and um, community-led fashion, then it would be, and with textiles and clothing, then we'd have a very different world. Um, The fact that it is this, um, the the world as we understand it, is linked to big corporations rather than our, our local designers down the street. And I think there's a whole other way that we need to be thinking about our, how our world operates. And that is also on an, an international level as well. We're starting to be aware of it, which is, of course, what your campaign
0: is doing. Making mm-hmm. us all aware of it is, uh, is the first step to understanding the damage that we're doing. So where can people read about what you're doing and read about fast fashion?
1: So I've been putting work on my Instagram, which is Green Amelia Womack, and on my Facebook, which is Amelia Womack, Green Party Deputy Leader. And um, but there I've... Uh done a, a number of different interviews and articles on this so they'll be available online as well um, but also that it's worth um, keeping uh, I, I think it's worth everyone just challenging what the fashion industry is doing and, and having a little bit of oversight of of uh, the impacts that we have on a government level on a business level as well as as consumers. Well I'm feeling much more guilty as a green and I'm pretty guilty as a green
0: anyway most of the time I'm feeling more guilty now you've uh, explain this fully because it clearly is an issue that we've got to make people aware of and and it's a big learning thing so thank you very much for coming thank you, in jenny